Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And we're coming to you live recorded. You like that? You like how I did that? Live recorded. Live I recorded. Like that. Spoken yeah. like a true marketer. I should speak like a politician. Hey, let me tell you what we're going to do. And now I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do, but I'm going to make it sound really elegant and just keep talking. So you Gosh. think I do. I know. You know, I, I look at some of these videos and they're like an hour long. And I'm like, what are you saying in an hour? Say it in three minutes. Get in there. It's like our podcast should be an hour, but definitely not your public safety announcement. Dude, they're like, uh, I don't know if you watch the ones from uh, Garcetti, the mayor of LA. But uh, yeah, because you're you're so far south. I don't know if they're putting them on the the TV. He dominates every channel. I don't know what time it is, but you can't like watch news without seeing him talk. And every time he's opening his mouth, I'm thinking... Just get to the point for the love of all that is holy. Get to the point and let us get back with our lives. It's like just we're in a weird time, man, where these guys all of a sudden they want all the limelight, they want all this power. It's strange to me. Like, I don't know, man. We're we're living in strange days. Uh, and we've let this happen. Um, I was telling Jamie yesterday, I was like, you know what, I really wonder what the world is gonna look like in 50 years. Yeah. Like this is this is the uh, the beginning of a completely different America. Like the, you know, the the line is the new normal, but it's it's a completely different America because they're literally throwing out the old playbook, which was our constitution, and you know, this is how we all agree to play the game of life. They've literally just thrown the whole thing out, and now they're doing their own thing. And I'm like, but they haven't said that. This is this is how they. The, oh no, no, we totally uphold the constitution. See, the, the, these are it's an emergency. Temporary, temporary it's an emergency. Measures. 
Yeah. So you can get away with murder if you just, you know, you don't, you don't change it. You don't decry it. You say, Oh no, no, you can pay lip service to it all you want. But you know, I mean, here's my, here's my, uh, my thing is yes, there is a virus. Yes, there is a threat. I'm not full swing into, you know, conspiracy theory. There's something going down and it was a threat, but at the same time, our reaction to the threat was not equivocal. It was overreaching. It was, well, I mean, you know, based on the information they had at the time, I can at least say, I understand their reaction. I don't agree with their reaction. Correct. Yes. I, I, you know, I can at least understand it. Okay. I don't know if you remember this, but, um, Gavin Newsom, the mayor of California, or mayor, <laughs> the governor of California, at the beginning, he was saying, you know, no, no, next- Pete, no. the Supreme Commander, the, the, Supreme the Emperor, the emperor, yes, the emperor of California. Uh, at the beginning, he was saying, you know, in the next six weeks, I'm going to have 26 million cases of coronavirus. Like he was genuinely believing that. And I think it was because of the data that was presented to him. So I understand that. Now, that doesn't mean you throw out the Constitution, which is what they've done, and right. suspended it. And uh, and the the line that I think is is so funny. I don't know if you've seen this meme, but they're like, it's not martial law; it's democratic martial law. <laughs> you know, making fun of everyone who goes, it's not socialism; it's democratic socialism. <laughs> I mean, because they've basically instituted martial law without calling it martial law. And that sure did. That's the scariest part of it. And that's why I just, I'm curious. Well, they use the police. When, when martial law is called, then the National Guard rolls in. And, you know, there would be. Which it's already here in Orange County. The, Orange, the National Guard's already here in Orange County. Right. Primarily dealing with food. Um, well, you, know, you in, can't in just roll them into Main Street. You know, you have to ease it in. It's, it's like I was telling Jamie this at the beginning. And they're like, oh, we're just going to do this for two weeks. And I just looked at her and I go, it's not going to be two weeks. They can't tell everyone, hey, this is going to be, you know, the next four months because everyone's going to revolt. Right. But if it's two weeks and now we're going to extend it another 30 days and then we're going to extend it a little bit more. And well, and it's different. So like the times when um, the, you know, the National Guard's been called in martial law, um, for example, um, Hurricane Katrina, back when that hit. My brother was actually uh, under command of, a, of a, a great deal of that. And there was looting, if you remember. Uh, people had evacuated, but there was also looting going on. They called in National Guard. They established curfews. Um, there were shootouts. People were killed, uh, you know, who were looting and what have you. But um, there was, you know, that, that's what that's for is to restore order when chaos has ensued. But in a situation like this, uh, I don't think this is what the National Guard is for. You know, we haven't lost order. We haven't lost uh, all similar. Like what, what people don't realize is that um, the National Guard is there when America is about to lose it on the home front. It, it, it actually is. The, the, the National Guard is actually there to fight us. I don't know if you realize that. No. That's what National Guard is for. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's for home defense at home. <laughs> so if we have a land invasion, you would, you would also see the national guard, but yeah, the, the, the national guard is actually, um, and Dude, someone what's in the, the shirt guard. you're wearing, you like that? What is my, what? that's my favorite beer. Bleaching. Def, belching beach, beaver. Or Deftones belch- Phantom bride. 
That okay. is my my favorite. So I was like, it looks like he's brewery. got a skull on his shirt. I gotta stop the conversation and see what the skull is. It's a beaver skull. Nice. It's dressed up like Day of the Dead. So okay, all right. There you go. I'm offending all kinds of people today. What's up with that? I don't know, but let's just keep going. So I guess it begs the question, and I know we don't do our usual transition, but you know how how are we? Uh, how are we as a church supposed to be reacting in all of this? I mean, we kind of touched a little bit on it last week and you were saying, Hey, I think it's time for us to, to start church again, even if it means breaking the rules. Um, I don't know. So what's, what are your yeah, thoughts? Well, my, my thought is, you know, and, and not every, I, I think every pastor has to act according to their conscience. Look, I'm not out there. And even that statement about the national guard, I'm not anti that. I, I think there's a place for that. Um, but it is for fighting at home. Um, you know, the Marines, the army, the air force, the Navy, we know what all those branches are. Uh, We don't, uh, the space force. Let's not forget the space force. You know, I, I I was saving them for last because they are the best. You you Um, know that there's a new Netflix, there's a new Netflix show coming out at the end of the month, space force with, uh, Steve Carroll. I was going to say, please let it be like galaxy quest or something like that. That'd be so great. Steve, what's his last name? Carol? The, yeah, Carell. Carell. Yeah, Carell. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's starring in it. It's Netflix, May 29th, Space Force drops. That sounds really good. But you know, the the thing is, is that um, this is an anti. Like I said, I, I, I we just don't talk about the National Guard. And some people say, oh no, it's for when we get invaded by foreign forces. Uh, it's both. So uh, I don't know. A lot of them went to Afghanistan and Iraq. My brother did. Yeah. So I mean, there's uh, worked in the Pentagon for the National Guard. So. Yeah. I mean, they got they got called up and and the yeah, governors so, have to release them to the feds. Right. And, and, and here's kind of where I'm at is everybody has to, you know, let me let me kind of put my cards on the table. I'm not um, I'm not the extremist, like I'm not, I'm, I, I would say I'm moderate on this. You know, um, you guys know my posture was let's take a servant's posture, this and that. And we did what they asked. We did what they asked for the first few weeks and the data coming in has not suggested anything worse. It is actually, uh, suggested that, and by the way, data is not empirical. First thing you got to know about data is data always has to be interpreted. So the reason why they're saying, oh, you know, we got the, you know, trust the science. You're still having to trust a fallible person at the end of that who has to interpret the data presented. Now, the data could be wrong, but even if the data is right, you can have two scientists look in the same piece of data and both of them will interpret it differently. So, um, but where we're at right now is all of the data points to the fact that, okay, it's not as bad as we thought. Some people get angry at that. I don't get angry. I think, you know, okay, if you're trying to protect us, great. Uh, There's lots of conspiracy theories that, you know, this was created by Big Pharma, Tony Fauci is evil. I mean, I've seen those videos, you know. Here's the thing is when people's uh, insecurity and fear is at a heightened level, it's easy to buy into uh, people who want to feed off of your fear. And even those videos, I mean, uh, those videos are... There, there's videos in two camps. There's ones that are like the two doctors in Bakersfield that come out and say, hey, this doesn't make sense. We're speaking on behalf of the medical community. They weren't selling anything. Some of the other videos that you see, they're selling or promoting something for you to buy, like a movie, right? Like the um, mm-hmm. pandemic yeah, wants yeah. you to go buy a movie. I, I would be more suspicious of that and say, hey, uh, don't just believe what you hear. 
always if someone wants you to buy something, then, then okay, hold on. I, I've got to step back. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that gives me pause. So before I say what I'm about to say, I got to preface it by saying my approach is always wait and see. I don't have enough facts. I don't have enough data. But what I do know is that the data has consistently been telling us since we sheltered in place that things are remarkably less drastic than what we thought. Um, what will happen undoubtedly um, is that there will be an outbreak of all kinds of sickness and flu, um, whether it's COVID-19 or the other flus we have going around, um, they will outbreak just simply because we've sheltered in place. That is going to happen medically. As soon as you start putting people back in population around each other, sickness is going to go up, especially because well, what'll be interesting place. too, is I think that'll, that'll lead to a lot more fear of, Oh no, we should have stayed sheltered at home because now I'm sick. And it will. And, and again, it's interpretation of the facts. The, the point is if you did this without COVID-19, um, just because of the way that human immunology works, this would have been a natural phenomenon that would, if we just done a social experiment, no COVID-19, Hey, let's shelter everyone in place for two months, put them back in population with each other after a couple months and see what happens. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Pizza got his glasses on. Um, that would have naturally led to a, uh, an outbreak of, um, we would have had a really bad, um, round of sicknesses simply because our immunity is lower. Um, when people isolate, their immunity goes down. So that's just something to be aware of that that is going to happen. So I think as we come back, eventually, we're going to have to come back. So to use that as an excuse, I'm just telling you when the longer you do it, the longer you shelter in place, the worse it's going to be when you come back together. Mm. A. B. When you do come back together, I, I think the, the call to action, you know, hey, wear your mask, um, social distance, that's fine. That's a, that's a moderated approach. And I think if other businesses and places are doing it, the church can surely do that for an hour. It takes me approximately an hour to go through the grocery store because I'm going one week or one day a week, right? It takes me about an hour, maybe 40 minutes. You're able to actually find everything? Almost. Yeah, we almost. go, we go, uh, right now about every other day and we can never find everything we need. Well, I think, and then the uh, limits, right. We could only yeah. get like two things of eggs and we go through eggs. Like I'll eat 10 eggs a day. It's not like that in San Diego. Really? Yeah. So no, I got to drive down like to San Diego to go shopping. Dude, Come on, come on. Let's go shopping. Well, th that would, we would be together and that would be illegal. Six feet apart. Six feet apart. Your sheriff is writing people tickets for watching the sunset. So I don't know about this. It's crazy. I don't know if I sent you that picture where uh, it had that rat and it said uh, one nation under CCTV and someone had posted this big sign right under the cameras. We've got the drones. We've got, now you look up the street lights. There's these elaborate camera devices up there. It's crazy, dude. It's like big brother. Wow. And, and, and so that's where we're at, but it's in the name of our safety. And Hey, by the it, way, side note, we went to one of the protests in Huntington beach on a Saturday, my family, really? yeah, best protesting sign I'd ever seen this skater dude, long hair, ratty looking hat, holding a sign that says legalize meth. <laughs> Everyone else, man, you know, give us our freedoms. 
I Newsom's not essential. Uh, this dude legalized meth. I well, was you remember dying. they used to be legalized pot, you know. Like, oh yeah. Now now that they got that, it's you know let's let's get past the gateway drugs. Let's let's go to the next one. Oh my gosh. So so all that to say. Uh, um, by the way, guys, that that was a joke. I'm sure the guy was joking. Well, I mean, I don't know that he was joking. He wasn't joking. I'm joking, thinking it's the greatest sign. But. You know, basically, the, the way that I, I look at this whole thing is, you know, if, if it's okay for some, you cannot trounce the Constitution. And I know people are like, oh, don't be ridiculous, um, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I get that argument. I'm not saying this out of fear. Um, I'm not saying it out of, oh, they've taken our right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at the point where I think that's what's behind this. But I, I know that they have done it. And I know they've done it, some of them thinking, this is for good reason. It's for your protection. You have to take, you know, all these factors. Because, you know, granted, if, if there was a virus of the magnitude, it, it would have made sense. And none of us w- would have thought about it as, as trouncing our rights. I, I certainly didn't at the start. And I still don't think that's the motive. But I think it's the consequence. And being told that you cannot come out. And like I said, um, the government has the right to declare martial law in certain circumstances. But um, I think that this is kind of the place where um, for churches right now, uh, we're now, we know what we need to do to be safe. If it's safe for the supermarket, it's safe for churches. And so I know that particularly, um, amongst the more conservative churches and yeah, sure. You can profile them. They're starting to say, we're going to meet and you're not going to stop us. But you know, you look at them, their social distance or then other churches like Andy Stanley. I watched his announcement this week. Um, one of, one of the biggest churches in America, he says, Hey, we're not going to, because it's just impossible for us to meet the way we meet and still observe these guidelines. So until they lift them, we will not be meaning. And I think each pastor needs to make their own decision and needs to go with their conscience. Like, like for example, um, the question is, what if um, it has an outbreak again and we were wrong and we're culpable? Um, that, that'll be a hard burden. You know, Charles Spurgeon suffered immensely uh, when the balcony collapsed in this church and people died. And he didn't recover from that ever. He never fully recovered from that. That had a physical strain and mental strain. He started suffering depression from then on for the rest of his life. Well, I think, I, I, you know, one thing that I would caution our pastors, in my opinion, obviously, this is just a, an opinion here. I think we need to be very cautious of taking responsibility for the spread of a virus. Yeah, It's different than a balcony falling, only in that we can see the balcony fall. We, we know that we have a responsibility to make sure that our buildings are safe when people meet. Um, but where did someone catch a virus? You can't possibly say that. You can't say, oh, I know they got this virus at church. When literally every single person in my community is going to one of three stores or in our case, all three of them. Right. No, you're 100% right. The supermarkets, and this is the thing, is the supermarkets and the churches, the same rule applies. Um, They're they're almost identical to each other. In fact, supermarkets are worse 
But the church brings people from various cross sections together, like a supermarket. So it's not, it, it, it's more, it's, it's a hub of spreading. And that's exactly my point about a supermarket is the supermarket being a hub of disease contagion. It was almost one of the worst ideas. If we really believed uh, what, what would have been the best thing for the supermarkets, if we really believed uh, in, in what would the guidelines and all the shelter in place nonsense um, would have been um, to, to make it like Amazon from now on, everyone gets delivery and the supermarkets have to up their delivery game. Um, everything would have changed in store uh, personnel would have become delivery personnel. And that would have had to been the pivot that the supermarkets make. And that would have actually contained the spread rather than keeping it for weeks where everybody just converges, no mask. Cause at that time they're telling us, Oh, masks aren't effective. So everybody was in the supermarket without masks. So, you which, know, which I just like to say, I still do go without a mask. I break the rule. I wear the bandana around my neck and no one gives you hassle, but you should have that right. Really? I really, should I should. That's that why right. I take it. Yeah. Cause I just don't agree with when you have the flu, you were allowed by law to go to the supermarket with the flu. Now, if I go to the flu or the supermarket and I don't use hand sanitizer on my cart, um, I, it's one of those things where if, if what happens now is the government starts making laws, if you're sick, you must stay at home. I just, to me, that's overreaching. That's too far. Right. Um, and yet the, the whole argument, Hey, it's my body, my choice. You can't tell me what to do with my body. Oh, did I go there? I sure did. Um, you know, that, that goes out the window. Now the government's all over my body, right? It's telling me all kinds of things I can and can't do with my body. Um, so, you know, I love what Lloyd Jones said that, that history teaches us man is, is incapable of governing himself, which is why we need God yeah, as our king. Very true. It's why yeah. we need, you know, it, it, the more that I live, the more that I watch man try to govern himself, the more of a mess mankind makes. And because we're not God, we're not designed. Men, men were not designed to govern one another. That wasn't how we were created. In fact, if you remember in, in the book of uh, Judges, um, in, in First Samuel, they, they want, each one does what's, what's right in his own eyes. And when that doesn't work out right, they say, oh, we need a king like the other nations. Then we'd be okay. And, and uh, Samuel goes, hey, look, you have God. Why would you want that? Do you understand what a king would do to you? And, uh, you know, that, that's the, and then of course, there's another motif working throughout First um, Samuel. There's two. One is anti-king, one is pro-king. And the pro-king thread leads back to Christ in his kingdom, that there's only, and then David pops up and he's the type of king. Saul personifies an evil king that dominates and, and man, mismanages people. David becomes a picture uh, an imperfect picture, but a picture of the king whose reign will have no end. And he's the good king. He's the one after God's heart for people. So, yeah, that was a, that, sorry. I've, I've been in through the word recently. That, that was yeah, a, no, I'm just, I, I'm just actually just thinking about the whole King, King David thing. I, I find, um, and I know this is off the subject, but I find, the story of King David, one of the most fascinating ones, because in the evangelical church, you know, we skip over certain parts of the Bible. I don't mean we don't believe in them. I just mean they're not taught from the pulpit very often. Yeah. 
David's Mighty Men is one of those sections. I just thought on that. Did you really? Yeah. Through the word? Yeah, through the word. I'm in First Chronicles. Oh, I got to go listen to that because when you hear their stories, those guys are like way tougher than Navy SEALs, right? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, oh, wow. So, so the greatest thing about them is if you read the book of Judges. So those of you that don't know, I did this thing called Through the Word. And it's with Chris Langham. Um, this thing is huge. <laughs> it's huge. It is. And, and so they're on you version, all that. It's eight minute, eight to nine minute chapter summaries of every chapter in the Bible. Uh, back in the early days of the podcast, I had only done Leviticus. Well, since then, I've done Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First, uh, Second Kings, and now on First Chronicles. So th- this is this is just my passion, and I know, I know, like those of you listening, you know me for church planning stuff. Um, the, the scripture that that's that's my thing, and I I don't preach right now. I haven't been behind a pulpit really. It's ironic because I I feel my number one gifting is preaching, and I don't use it. So, you know, occasionally I might get invited to speak somewhere and that's great and all, but, um, but through the word is that's where I kick out the jams, right? Because that's, that's where I feel I'm gifted, right? So, so to be able to do that is huge. But anyways, um, the great thing about the mighty men is, um, you read the book of judges and that's all the mighty men are is David has 30 judges and they become the commanders of, of his army. So if you look at Israel during that time, Israel, uh, the golden age of Israel is under David's reign. It didn't expand under Solomon. It just enriched itself by taking from all the territories. But David was the fighter. So Saul's kind of started taking on the Philistines, but he couldn't conquer them. David comes on the scene. There's a supernatural battle. He defeats the Philistines. There's that passage beat. Remember where God marches through the top of the poplar trees? Do you remember that? No. I don't. Well, that's the decisive battle of the Philistines. What people don't know is that when um, when uh, Saul ends up, um, sorry, when uh, so Saul dies uh, in 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 the, in that battle, um, when David goes, or it might actually be the battle before that. I I, I can't remember now. But anyways, David ends up um, going to war, and he says, "Hey, we're gonna." take the ark into battle that hasn't been done since Moses. So they take the ark of the covenant into the battle. And God says to David, I want you to hang out near this forest. They're going to come through this forest and they're going to try to get you. And all of a sudden you see kind of like on Jurassic Park, you, it says that the trees start rustling and they hear the sound of marching in the tops of the trees. And when the army comes out, they're all wrecked and David just boom, and the Philistines are done. And they were a, an Iron Age people. I don't remember Israel that at all. Was a Bronze Age. It's awesome. It's in First Chronicles. I want to say it's like chapter eight or nine or something. But um, it's also in First. Uh, it might be in Second Samuel. But so, anyways, that's the decisive battle. That's where they cripple because that's when a Bronze Age people conquers an Iron Age people, which was unheard of, right? Then, under David's rule, the kingdom of Israel from there starts expanding. Israel's never as big as it is under David's reign. That's the golden age. The kingdom expands. So that's another reason why he's a picture of Jesus. But then under Solomon, it starts to shrink, if you remember, because the tribe splits. And then there's all this like civil unrest because Solomon's taking too much from people. So, um, but under David, what's rad is when he marches up through Jerusalem, 
um, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant um, in, he puts on priest garments. Like he refuses to be the conquering king because he knows who just won that battle. Mm. So he puts on the priest garment. That's where he's dancing and stuff. And McCall looks out the window and despises him and thinks, man, my, you know, she just did, he's abased himself. And he says, I'll be even yet more vile. You know, he makes that kind of like smack talk, you know, I'll be more vile than this, you know, for God. And, uh, and what's rad is, um, uh, McCall, you know, she's thinking like, my dad would have never done that. And that's exactly the point is her dad would have never honored God and debased himself. Right. He, he had these standards. He wanted to be the big boy. And here we've got this new King, this new King puts on priest robes during that, that victory march through the city where normally a King would come and he'd shower gifts. Like we hear in the new Testament, David won't do that. He marches the ark through the city because God is the conquering hero. He is the one who's won the battle. And it is just such an amazing picture. And and what I was going to go on to say where this ties into the New Testament, which is fascinating, is there's a in First Chronicles in that passage, it says, and this is what they sing, David penned, because David was a warrior poet, he pins this amazing song. And um, it is what the people were shouting when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Mm. that has the refrain, Hosanna or Hoshana, save us now. So when David marched to the Ark of the Covenant in the city where um, God is seen to be the conquering commander, and by the way, Jerusalem was brand new taken, right? The city of Salem was brand new. Jerusalem, city of peace. It, it had brand new been taken, right? It was David had just conquered it. Um, he had taken it in. He was establishing God there as the king. And then um, in Jerusalem, the same city, Years later, the Messiah comes. It's the day of his visitation. Um, this is that day. And guess what they're singing? That very song, right? They're recognizing that God himself, our Savior, our Messiah is coming in. It's the same. It's a picture. It's a parallel picture. And uh, and here's Christ coming lowly on a donkey like David, like, like a priest. He's not coming in triumph. He's not coming in procession. He's coming lowly. And the people are going nuts. And that's why when the Pharisees get mad, because they know that the Romans are going to come down on their heads. And the scripture says they get nervous and they say, shut up, shut up. You're going to bring the Romans down on us. And that's why Jesus says, hey, if they were quiet, the very rocks would cry out. Like this is the day where it's appointed that I get this glory, right? This is that day where I come into my city, like when David marched in the Holy of Holies. And of course, he is the mercy seat. He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is God's glory hid within the outer shell, right? The mercy seat was on top of that. That's where sin was atoned for. That's exactly what was happening. Days later, he'd be dead. He would be the mercy seat. He would make atonement for the nation. So it's pretty dang cool. So sorry, I got excited. Yeah, no, no. By the way, um, I I just want to give a shout out, if you will, to one of the best online churches that I've seen. And unfortunately I haven't seen a whole service. If you want to call it a service, I've only seen bits and pieces of it. Um, but it's Matt Fretwell's story church. And so Sunday morning, you know, we're getting ready for our church to live stream. And so I'll be on Facebook and his is always going then. So I don't know when he does his cause he's East coast we're West coast. Right. But the thing that I like about his church, at least the couple of little bits and pieces of it that I've seen, 
there's been three guys, you know, he's sitting there in the middle and then a, a guy on the right and a guy on the left. And it's very much like how we did church at refuge where it's discussion based. And like one of the guys I can tell is a newer Christian. And so he's asking a lot of the questions that a, a regular brand new person would be asking. And they're like breaking stuff down. And I'm like, dude, that, that is so much better than just watching some guy stand up there and preach because it's the actual questions and answers. And it's very much like a, how you and I do a podcast, right? Where we have the interaction and that's what really makes our podcast good. You know, one of us will say something that causes the other one to go a little bit deeper or, you know, think about things a little bit differently. And I really like how they do that church. So I just encourage you guys check out Story Church in uh, Virginia, um, their Facebook page, and maybe, you know, watch one of their old episodes or I'm sure it's still on Facebook or, you know, watch one of their new ones, but I really well, like how they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the things way back, you know, years ago. I mean, I, I kind of, um, Matt went through the jump school training that we did way back, which, you know, kind of trained planners to do interactive church. And so if we were talking about, you know, where this is going, I still find it interesting, and this kicks into our topic, by the way. So, good segue, brother. Good segue. Um, well, it took us forty minutes to get there, but that's all right. Yeah, but you know, if if I were to look at what what needs to be done going forward, I, I would pull back and say, you know, it's really strange to me that still the metrics we're celebrating are numbers. Now, it used to be butts and seats. Now it's eyeballs on the screen. Yeah. Um, oh, how many views? In the beginning, the views are very small, and I think that, you know, like like what you're saying, hey, I, you know, I saw this service. It's not going to do much when things open back up other than give you an online viewership. And um, I, I, here's the thing. This, this to me, is strange. We, uh, we can either use this as a time to double down and reform and go back to what we know. Um, it, it should be done. So all the guys that write stuff like I write, this is our heyday, right? Because this is a time where we're saying, hey, everything we told you is going to happen, right? Um, financially, um, things are going to fail you eventually, right? Um, people are going to stop coming. I actually think many people aren't coming back after this. That's my Oh, point. totally. I mean, first of all, we've already given them the excuse, well, I could just watch it online. And we're celebrating. That's the problem. We're saying, oh, this is great, guys. We haven't lost anything. Um, well, that's the wrong message to be given right now. You yeah, know, church is not supposed to be a spectator sport. If you can do it online, it's not church. That's, that's my mantra. If you can do it online, it ain't church, right? I can run a show, and I've been saying for years, run a show on a Sunday, ain't church, Right. Um, 32 one another's in the New Testament. How do I do those watching a show? How would I practice the one another's? Um, how would I take the Lord's Supper? You know, people say, oh, well, you could, you know, do it virtually. Cool. I don't have, I know people have theological issues. I don't, you know, if that's the best you can do, that's the best you can do, you know, but it's not the same. It's not the same as sitting together and talking and conversing. You can simulate the real thing. But, um, you know, my mind is going to so many, like VR. VR eventually is going to be, you know, a thing. We know that that's a coming thing. Um, and already I hear guys talking about, we're going to do VR church. 
okay, that, that's great. But there is something that Paul says he can write letters, and we call that scripture when he writes letters, right? That's scripture. Now, I just want you to work through this thought process with me. If Paul could write letters and they're scripture and they're timeless and eternal, but he writes to the Corinthians, for I long to see you face to face that I might impart some spiritual gift. When he says to, in other words, something has, something happens when we're together, when two or more are together, I am there with you. Um, when, when we hear, you know, Paul say, you know, the, do not neglect the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Um, there's something about physical, our physical bodies. God didn't make us virtual beings. He could have. He could have made us spirits that only communicated virtually. The, there's a reason the resurrection body. So I'm going to go maybe a little bit hyper theological here to say that it is theologically deficient to negate the physical presence of the church. It is also theologically overreaching to say that nothing can be done a benefit online. There's a middle ground here. And so what I'm saying is um, we should be celebrating and we should be really mourning what can't be done physically right now. Because what, what Paul is saying is there's some things that are done physically face-to-face that are what we would call incarnational, right? Christ came incarnationally. He, through the Spirit, was present in the prophets. He, through the Spirit, was present in the scriptures. Um, he says those, both of those things, Hebrews tells us that, but he has to come and tabernacle among us. And so if the church doesn't get that this is, this is the incarnational whole theology is part of what the church is called to do, then we're missing something vital. And we have been missing something vital for years. Um, you can't effectively do the one another's. You can't, you know, the gifts of healing, those kind of the laying on of hands, all these things are, are very important to be together. And I think that's the message a church needs to be giving, not celebrating. We can do everything we did online. Not really. I don't agree. Hmm. Interesting. That's all I got to say on that. (laughs) I got nothing. So uh, that would be one of the things right now. And and if I were to look at what do you do when you get back? Um, First off, I see this time as two things. I see this time as a time to reorganize. I don't see it as a time to just shift to um, try to get everything online. I see this as a God-given crossroads for people to make a choice. What do you want to do? Um, I, I was hosting a webinar yesterday for Exponential that um, a woman there, she's, she's director of soulcare.com, made a very profound point. And she said that um, for, for probably all of us, we've it, it, it one, once or twice, at least probably in the last few years, said, oh, man, if I could just stop the world for a few minutes and catch up, or if I could just, you know, hit the pause button on everything. We did, right? We, we, the world stopped. We hit the pause button on everything. And can you hear all that noise in the background? Yeah. They're picking all that up. What is that? It's my kids running around getting paper and school materials and my cat chasing toys like 
it just seemed like all of a sudden everything converged on Mackenzie my yeah. comes into my office and says, dad, can you print more paper? Cause she gets all the paper out of the printer. So she thinks I print paper. So rad. That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> you know what you should do is you should play jokes on her and put hamburgers in there sometimes. Oh, look what I printed for you. You should totally start like, yeah, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a hamburger in my printer. I, I think it's a great <laughs> idea on some levels, but on others, you put like small toys and like little things in there and go, you know, if Just I put a unicorn in there, she would lose her That's mind. That's what I'm saying. You totally need to like, you know, squirt guns, um, disgusting things sometimes just because you're your dad, little plastic spiders, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I, you should get her thinking you're like the Jetsons and you have magic powers. That'd be great. Dude. What's funny to me is Luke is so much like Jamie and Mackenzie is so much like me personality, the looks. Oh my God. The jokes. So true. She is me. So what's funny is I, I you know, you, you post that picture and I know you posted it last year and I had the same reaction where I was what picture dying is when I saw it. The one oh, the Luke with his classmates. Oh my gosh. And I so see you in that though at the same time. Right. Like I think, I think those are Pete's college days, right? There. Probably. You know, but, but, but what's so funny is so whenever it, I, for everyone who didn't see the picture, it's Luke and all of his friends. There's like six of them. They're all standing there smiling, you know, looking at the camera. And then Luke is losing his, his mind laughing and just, he's the only one that it, you could just tell is losing it laughing. Right. Right. It, it's hilarious. Yeah. He's, it, it, you could tell he's in full stream, like, ah, you know, like full belly laugh mode yeah. and everyone else is kind of calm. It's, yeah. it's hilarious. But you know, whenever I walk into your house, Mackenzie kind of looks at me like, mm. she gives me this like sidelong suspicious and it's hilarious. It's like, I'm watching you Jones. I'm, I'm, I'm judging judging things right now you know don't don't push me it's it's hilarious and i totally uh, see she's, you in that. she is so much like me and i was telling jamie the other day i go i don't know if this is a hereditary thing an observed thing or just a second child thing right because i was oh, a yeah. second child I, I don't know which one it is but she is she and i are so much alike i didn't know you were the second yeah i thought you were the older. first one no huh. And yet you have preeminence. Sorry, that's that's a <laughs> Look, that's a that's a Bible joke. <laughs> let me just say this: I I was granted certain certain uh, uh, purviews as a child. I am I'm hey, pretty much the emperor. That that is the joke you need to make, all you little brothers and sisters out there. You need to say you may be the firstborn, but I still have preeminence. You know that's that's a great biblical I like joke it. for you to make. I so, like anyways, uh, so going back to this. Um, now is the time for training. And, and what I was saying is that, you know, the world did go on pause and did go on hold. The problem is pastors are reporting a higher degree of burnout right now than ever before. And I will just say it's because you're doing it wrong. It's because now that you can't run the show, you're trying to make up for it. You feel guilty. Oh, I need to show my worth. I need to show my, my, my you know, I need to stay busy. There's some people say, oh, this pastoral issues like never before. And I actually get really? that one, huh. but where in the heck is your team? Why is it you? Well, they're working. No, they're, they're staying at home playing video games. Trust me. Everyone I've talked to 
that's working from home is playing a lot more video games and kind of bored. And Not me. what I want. Netflix. I'm Netflix. All right. Go on. Go on. Where would we be without the Tiger King? And by the way, for all of you that are out there going, I see this on Facebook or Christians. Oh, I got 10 minutes into it. Ed Stetzer pointed something, you know, said something like, you know, I, 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 I shudder for America, you know, yada, yada. And all these people came out Pharisee go, oh, I watched 10 minutes of it. You know what? If you can't handle the Tiger King for a few episodes, you would never handle Frontline Mission. I'm telling you, you would have never made it. In Not in Long Beach. Long Beach. Yeah. Tiger, Tiger King is tame compared. And, and I just always feel like church planners, you get what I'm saying. You get it. You, I watch Tiger King, and it's, it's a missiological information piece for me. It is not, you know, I'm just going to sit here and be entertained, although I was thoroughly entertained. Um, yet at the same time, my heart was breaking. I just want to reach to that screen and go minister to every single one of those people mm. in that movie. And Pete knows we had a whole congregation of Tiger Kings. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. So, but anyways, going back. Have you to seen the meme where it says, where are they now? And it's Calvin and Hobbes. And then it's a picture of Tiger King <laughs> <laughs> with the tiger. It's so funny. Someone just dropped off a butt ton of theology books. In fact, they're, they're sitting in my car right now. If any of you wants to, um, if any of you live ne- next to me and you want a bunch of good theology books, um, church planning books, theology, just come get them. You need I to break quarantine. Boxes. You need to forget about social distancing and head on over to Peyton's house. Well, the guy who brought him over takes it very seriously. He's got an immunocompromised wife and he still dropped him off. I mean, mask. Simplifypeyton.com is where you can get it. Simplifypeyton.com. I'll mask up, you mask up, and uh, they're yours. Just contact me. If you're hearing this and you're, you're somewhere around the San Diego area, reach out and they're yours. They're open, open dibs. So uh, they're just all sitting in my car in boxes. So anyways, um, all that to say, so you had this chance now to take a sabbatical, to take a rest. If you did not use this time to take a sabbatical because you thought it was important to run the show, you did it wrong. I would have pre-recorded a few things if I were you popped them on and I would have taken a break and I would have put my team on because you don't get opportunities like this often. And maybe someone says, Oh, what about the people and the, the, the pastoral issues? If you're trying to do that by yourself before COVID-19 shame on you, if you weren't utilizing your team before this, you got no one to blame, but yourself. And that may sound really harsh, but I cannot beat the team drum enough. Heck, I wrote a book called church zero on it. Um, the, the whole textbook that's coming out is on team church planning. If you're not doing team, you are your own worst enemy. You know? Which uh, I just got to tell everyone, you sent me a, a picture and you said, hey, don't show this to anyone. Here's the cover of my new book. And so I sent him a picture back and I go, don't show this to anyone. Here's a picture of my new body. <laughs> it was some, so rad. some shirtless dude from the internet. It was not my body. I literally laughed out loud. And then, um, and then forgot to put LOL. So I came back to it later and told you LOL and I sent you something else, but that's Pete and I's, I's relationship. But I literally laughed out loud when I saw that. That was hilarious. This is dude like fully ripped and like hulked out. I was all, I was actually trying to find a black guy's picture because I thought that would be funnier because <laughs> I'm not black. Right? So rad. But I also didn't want to do any Photoshop and like cut out the head because I thought what was funny is that guy's head wasn't in the picture. So, you know. It could have been yeah. my body, sure. Oh if my I gosh, was man. perfect abs and you know all that. So, well, so yeah, so 
you know, going back to that. So now is the time for you to disciple others. If you were going to do one thing during this time, it's disciple. And I always have believed this, that in church plants, there is a rhythm of um, evangelism and discipleship. That there's, there was a time where people would get saved left and right in my church plants. And then there'd be a time where no one got saved for a while. And, and I learned on my first church plant that that's for discipleship. That's what that time is. So you can mobilize them to go out and do more evangelism. And that's exactly what happens. But you have to pour into them. So this was a rhythm of discipleship. If, if the pause button got hit, this is a time for you to disciple. And I would say when it starts back up, you need to be thinking. Um, Brian Sanders calls them micro churches. We called them cogs. We just didn't know to call them micro churches. You know, we didn't we didn't patent. Uh, you know, copyright uh, micro church. You know, I've I've learned that when you name something micro church um, TM. Exactly. Nowadays, and it's biblical, when you name something, you own it, right? But we were doing these ages ago, and they would each become a church plant. That was kind of the model that, that I learned. Um, but but and, and Sanders says it this way. I love how Brian Sanders says it. He says, if you plant a church, it may fail. But if you plant a mission, church planting will naturally happen. Plant a mission. Don't plant a church. So what we would do is we'd get these cogs going, and they would become mission. And then those become church plants. That's how you need to start training your people when it goes back. Train them to mission in these small groups and see them as core teams. Don't call them that. Don't tell people that's what you're doing. Just train them to be self-contained. So when this happens again, you don't have to shift and shimmy. You just go, right, everybody, we're just going to COG gatherings every week, right? Or micro church gatherings every week. You've had these groups already. You've been on mission together with them. They're, in effect, mini churches or oh, micro churches. And that that's, to me, that's how um, we used to say that Refuse Long Beach was a back-to-front church because we saw everything that happened in our cogs, prayer, communion, equipping of believers, um, deep discussion, and, and working out of pastoral issues. By the way, that's one of my points is... I used to tell people if they didn't go to COGS, not to ever bother me with a pastoral issue because I was like, look, I'm not going to spend all my wheels and all my time if you don't come to the place where we offer pastoral care. So don't call me with your pastoral issue because I'm going to tell you, get your butt in a COG because it gets worked out. And I know that sounds really nasty, but I said that because you know what happens when people get in COGS? their pastoral issues get dealt with, right? And it disperses it to the team. Nobody, I don't have magic powers, right? Um, talking to me as the pastor was not going to do any any more good than talking to anyone else on my team. So that's how we rolled. And uh, if there was a situation where, let's say, domestic violence, I'd be called into that. Um, you know, those kinds of issues. There's a bit of experience that I have. I would definitely come into those, right? But, um, but yeah, that was kind of my theory. And, and, and I would restructure everybody if I were you. I think you just said one of the most profound statements when you quoted Brian Sanders, don't plant a church, plant a mission. Yeah. Cause that to me as a business guy makes so much sense. Like literally if you rethink everything you're trying to do as a church planter and just say, no, forget that I'm not planting a church. 
I'm planting a mission, it changes everything. It changes the DNA of what you're trying to accomplish. It's not about getting butts in chairs. It's not about getting eyeballs on your live stream. It's we have this mission. This is what our goal is. I, I love that. Like that, that to me is the most profound thing I've heard in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's super profound. And that's actually, that's the heart of what we did in Refuge Long Beach. You know, if you ever heard me say, hey, I don't really care about, you know, I don't give a rip what happens a year from now. You know, I don't, I don't care about this institution of this church. Like we're not really here to plant a church. Um, we're here to reach the lost. That's, that's in effect what we were saying was we're on mission here. Everything else is secondary, including a church plant, you know? So um, that's one thing that, you know, we've, we've said on this podcast for years is church planting and church starting are two different animals because church planting always starts with mission. You sow the seed of the gospel, and when there's a harvest, a church happens. Church starting takes the church, puts it in the forefront, does a bunch of marketing, you know, a bunch of flyers, gets, you know, rents the space. Mission is, uh, the church is seen as the vehicle of mission rather than mission giving birth to a church. And they're, they're two different church starting versus church planning, two very different things. But you know, Pete, when you're doing all that, starting a mission, you know, you don't have time, you know, to, to do your finances and all that stuff. Cause you're, you're training your team, you're discipling, you're taking a sabbatical, you're doing cogs, you're planting mission. How do you get your church finances done? Pete? Uh, we use space force. Wait, no, Simplifychurch.com. Simplifychurch.com. That's amazing, Pete. And uh, tell me, how is it so simple? Well, you know, what uh, Josh Henry and the team over there at Simplifychurch.com does is pretty much everything. Uh, I just call them up and I say, hey, Josh, I I got this problem here. I need to get IRS statements out. He says, Pete, no problem. I'm going to make your life simple. I say, Josh, uh, I I need to do a a payroll here. Uh, How do I do this? He goes, Pete, no problem. I'm going to make your life simple. That's what he does. That's exactly what he says. Yeah. Whatever you call is exactly what he says. You know how some people have an easy button? That was easy. You know, you hit the little button. His says, that was simple. (laughs) (laughs) And if he didn't have one before, he definitely needs one now. So. Uh, uh, Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. This has been Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com.